Welcome to the State the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of ThinkTrading.com. I'm Tim Price of PriceValuePartners.com. And our very special returning guest is Chris McIntosh. Chris has founded and built several multi-million dollar businesses in the investment arena, including overseeing the deployment of $30 million into venture capital opportunities and advising family offices internationally. Prior to this, Chris built a career at Invesco Asset Management, Lehman Brothers, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Robert Flemings. So, Chris McIntosh, uh, welcome back to the State of the Markets podcast. It is good to be back, Tim. Um, it sounds like, uh, in, in the first instance, we need to talk about weather. You've been having some extreme weather events at your end? You know what? Um, we've got a, a gentleman down the road. Um, we, well, firstly, we live on uh, what can only be described as a f- small farm. And um, we're up in the hills in our particular house. Um, which we're, we're, we're Whereabouts in the world exactly is this, Chris? Of course, it's sitting on the... Uh, this is in uh, the so- Socialist Republic of New Zealand. Uh, right. And... So we, we've got this place that sits on the top of a hill, which, of course, is where you get all the wind. And we just had some very extreme winds. Um, in fact, there's a, an old farmer down the bottom of the road who's, I think he's about 93, and he was, you know, giving us the what it was like in 1989. And apparently there was really, really bad winds in 1989. And he assured me that they were absolutely nothing compared to what we just had. So <laughs> we've, um, by many accounts, we've just had winds that um, come along probably every well, 80, 100 years, given the winds that are blowing in the geopolitical world and in the markets themselves. So you haven't changed your mind on uh, the topic of uh, climate change then? Well, let's just say Greta never actually went to school. <laughs> so let's, 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 let's talk markets. Um, would you care to to make a suggestion as to as, as to exactly what's going to be going on this year? We know that'll make the lefties heads blow up, but say that again, Tim. Yeah, so I think there's a slight delay on the line. So, so we might as well plunge plunge into the markets. Would you would you would you like to hazard a, a a suggestion as to what exactly is going on in the world right now that that ties all these various loose threads together? Where to start? Where to start? Um, well, maybe we start with physical limits. There's physical limits to most anything, right? It's why physics exists. Um, <clears throat> if we were to take, and we all know this, if we go and we look at any market extremes and hysterias that have previously existed in mankind's history. And we look back on those and we 
obviously in hindsight look at them and say, well, there were always physical limits. Of course, you couldn't have X, Y, Z take place. What on that? The physical limits tend to be for periods of time superseded by psychological aberrations or psychological um, misthink, I would say. And if we think about some of these physical limits, we could always just start with one of the most egregious of them, which is this idea that world is going to be powered by our sun uh, via solar and wind via wind farms. When we know that there are physical limitations to that, in in the case of sun or should we say solar, we've got the conversion of photons to electrons and the physical limitations on that from memory are something like thirty three percent. And we have this, you know, mainstream media paid pundits that tell us that we are on the cusp of uh, breakthroughs in these technologies. But if we take a look at where we're at now in terms of those uh, that conversion, we're around about 26% efficiency. And if we take a look at the wind, um, wind capture, the maximum wind capture you can get is about 60%, which is about running about 45%. Um, that's without considering the fact that sometimes the wind doesn't blow and sometimes the sun doesn't shine, which is another way of saying that these things are intermittent. So clearly the bar, the, the bulk of the gains are already behind us. So we have these physical limitations. I don't need to tell you, Jens, this because, well, you've got those neighbours over in Europe and uh, many of them are finding that being cold is not a lot of fun, which, of course, is quite fun for Putin. Um, He's having a good giggle at all of this. But these are physical limitations and what uh, what the media and the politicians um, have led us all to believe is that they can and will be uh, superseded by technology. Um, And all that's required is the wave of a politician's wand and um, a bit of brute force, and they they will come about. And, of course, that's just ideology. And, unfortunately, physics does not bend to ideology. And so that's really, in many respects, where we're at. And that is true not just of, you know, I've picked on the renewables space, but we could talk about this with with, with the country system, the idea that additional credit into an overleveraged system is going to solve the problems um, is, is a similar, you know, physical limit that uh, cannot be breached. The same is true in fiscal spending. The same is true in many, many aspects. So I think in the markets, we are seeing that. Um, And of course, the markets are just an extrapolation of billions and billions of 
daily interactions of human beings, choosing what to do with their time, their energy, their capital. Um, and so there's a psychological element to all of this. And we also, in that respect, are seeing physical limits to uh, what is psychologically possible. And as we're talking now, um, and Tim, I know that you'd be, <laughs> we follow each other on a few channels and communicate on these channels. And we both know that as of right now, there is there are physical limits that have been met in terms of uh, the human populace's psycho- psychology and their ability to take bullshit, quite frankly. Um, and so that those physical limits are running headlong into ideological, um, cult-like, well, cult, cult-like ideologies and chaos, uh, which itself feeds back into those markets that um, that we sit and place our capital into. So I guess that's a bit of a broad, extremely broad spectrum, but it covers everything, really. I mean, we have geopolitical issues and unrest and and angst that, um, quite frankly, we typically will only get every 100 years. Um, we have monetary phenomenons that we typically only get roughly every 100-odd years, which we could say 85, but we'll use round figures. Um, and all of these things are coming at once. So in some respects, it's a very, very exciting time to be alive, to be witnessing. Um, it's equally somewhat So, so Chris, we just had a, a, a brief technical snafu, but the 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 essence of what you were saying, and hopefully we'll we'll get it back in the the edit, was that this was uh, an exciting time, but also the, by implication, you were just about to say, I, I assume that this is also kind of terrifying for everybody. Pretty much, which I think is consistent with historical precedent. Um, you know, there's. It, yeah. <laughs> Is that old saying? Um, crisis is often the which is is when extraordinary fortunes are made and um, extraordinary uh, hardship is felt. Um, and I guess that this is this is one of those times. Uh, I mean, at the, at the risk of the risk of possibly sounding melodramatic, has anything like this really ever happened before in history? Well, you know, it's hard. One of the things with history, and, and you'd know this well, um, being you know well read and well versed, is we know that the <clears throat> the winners always write the history books, right? So sure, yeah. Well, it's Ch- Churchill who said that history will be kind to me because I will, I intend to write it. <laughs> exactly, um, and you, you know you always get a sense of that. Um, I know, I know, Tim, you're a, an avid uh, movie fan, and if you think about. I know this is true for me. Um, I don't. Maybe it's true for you as well. But some of the best films, those that stand out for you, are the ones that actually don't give you the sort of sense of of comfort. Um, if you think of something, something as trivial and, and ridiculous as sort of James Bond, you mm-hmm. know, there's a bit of drama and everything else. But at, it's very, it's very user, it's very user friendly. 
yes, you, you know, there's crisis and all, but um, it's at no, you know, there's there's a lot of comfort in it. Sure. Um, when and then if you take you take a film like Schindler's List, yeah, um, there's where where's the comfort? Mm. Where like there isn't any. It's 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 in or the or the opening the opening the open the opening the opening twenty minutes of Saving Private Ryan, which is just brutal. It's brutal, and and what you actually get to is where that um, that element of positivity, if you will, isn't in comfort. It's in strength of character, which mm-hmm. comes through. Um, you know, certainly you think of you know Anne Frank type of thing. There's, there's the comfort comes in this extraordinary strength of character that you see shining through, and that's some I think some of the best films that we've that we've ever witnessed are often where the hero doesn't even make it through, um, but there's there's a sense of humanity that 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 prevails and and uh, and a defeat of evil if you will, and so. When you ask the question, have we ever been through this before? I suspect we have, but I suspect that our understanding of it um, has been coloured by those who write history. So let's 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 jump straight back to the markets. Um, you alluded to the the dysfunctional nature of credit markets, in particular the bond market. It seems to me that the bond market is on the cusp or we may already be in the early stages of a, a huge reversal in, in direction and trend. Do you think that if that, if that basically, if that juggernaut changes direction, if that super tanker changes direction this year, the, 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 the broad stock market can survive unscathed or is there going to be carnage everywhere? I don't really look at it from. Or is that an overly simplistic way of, way of looking at things? I think it's, I think it's, <laughs> Not necessarily simplistic. The question you've got to ask yourself is, where does capital go? Mm. Okay, so if we think about things that we can eliminate because they're either A, they, 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 you know, we started off this conversation talking about physical limits, right? There are physical limits to everything. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, started, I talked about solar and wind and the actual, you know, physical limits to what we can achieve with those. If we, if we then look at markets, we say, well, what you want to do is you want to be staying away from the things where the physical limits are close to being met or have uh, where the, the, the prices or the valuations have already exceeded, well exceeded the actual physical limits of it. In other words, you know, pets.com, had well exceeded its physical limits. It was never going to achieve the, um, you know, what what its valuation had um, had set it up for. For for anyone that's unfamiliar, for anyone that's unfamiliar with this company, this was a company that, if, if recollection serves, was the epitome of the first dot com boom, and its CEO was a sock puppet, effectively. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, and then you've talked about broad stock markets. You know, if we took the Russell, the NASDAQ, about a lot of these high-flying tech companies, the Tiger 40, if you will, a lot of these companies, even though we are down fairly substantially from the highs that we began this year with, we're still often looking at 30 times earnings. Mm. It's not 
um, <laughs> that's not deep value territory, just mm. what Kathy Woods might um, might say about it. And so, um, when I look at it's, it, you know, what what doesn't make sense, and we just eliminate the things that don't make sense. You're sort of left with what um you know what you could reasonably look at um uh, because of well, in, 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 sorry, sorry to interrupt but in the words of my, my partner my business partner killian Connolly, what doesn't make sense is basically paper promises fiat nominal assets and what does make sense is hard real assets that's really where much of what we get to today now you know look you, we could we could go back there are periods of time where um, your what what are considered to be growth assets today <clears throat> made a hell of a lot of sense, um, and um, because everything has value, if the, if there is some tangible utility to something, um, and then then there is a there is a business to be had. Like I mean, I think what a lot of people kind of get get caught up in is. You know, talk about the world of stocks or bonds, mm. and for many people, that it's they go, oh, I don't, I don't want to know about that. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm a plumber, or maybe I'm a teacher, and you know, I don't understand that stuff. And it's nonsense. Anybody can understand this if you think about it purely from a business perspective. You go, what, what are stocks? Well, they're businesses. Mm. What does the business do? Does it make something that people um, have utility value in? And then what is the value of that business? You know, what are its cash flows? What are its obligations? What does the client base look like? And so on and so forth. It's not. So if we think about it from that perspective, you mentioned these paper promises. Well, um, think about a government as a business. Well, we have governments that should not be in business, clearly. Um, their obligations far exceed their, um, their ability to meet those obligations. That's just a reality. So why would you invest in one of those things? Um, the answer and, and to and to put you very specifically on the spot uh, and something this is topical. We're speaking on Tuesday, the fifteenth of February. Um, how many hours do you give the Trudeau administration in Canada? We're not dealing with the Trudeau administration. We're dealing with the World Economic Forum. How many people do you think realize that? Trudeau's not making the judgment calls yet. Yeah. That's clearly evident. Clearly evident. Now, the question then is <clears throat> what are the, um, how many people have been coerced into the situation that they, they now find themselves in? And is that coercion sufficient? to push through what has to at this point be done um, because we have reached that binary situation where the the next following steps that are taken put you, if, if you are the Trudeaus of this world, they very quickly put you into that situation where if you don't succeed, you will not get to retire gently, quietly, to your beach house and spend your uh, grandfatherly days rocking on a chair, sipping whiskey. You're not going to get to do that. Yeah, it ends in a Ceausescu. It ends in a Ceausescu moment. Exactly. And so, how many people actually have that have that in them? 
Um, it is a relatively rare breed. Now, given that it's a relatively rare breed, let's not forget that those relatively rare breed, which we typically would um, call sociopaths, do tend to flock to positions of power, political power in particular, like flies to shit. And so there is an overrepresentation of them. But even so, if we take the globe, um, the entire globe, what we've seen, you know, step back and have a think about what, what has transpired just in the last maybe six months that's preceded the situation that's now come to a head in Canada. Because part of what I think what part of what's taken pla- taking place in Canada now hasn't happened in isolation. Human beings are like, we're social creatures and we are herd animals. And we pick up, we're very good at spotting trends and spotting patterns. We're pattern recognition animals, okay? So we've had protests in many parts of the world now for months and months on end. France has had them for bloody ever. Um, there's been protests in, throughout Western Europe been, you know, against the mandates, against this, this totalitarian technocratic takeover. But it started to, I wouldn't say crumble, but there was, shall we say, successes. Mm. Norway, Sweden, the Czech Republic, which, by the way, had one of the most stringent lockdowns. Um, and so what that does for humanity is you have this pattern recognition and you go, aha, that's worked over there. And so it emboldens people. And I think that you know, now Canada has become a bit of a focal point for that emboldening. But it didn't really happen in isolation. Just in the same way as we go back to the Arab Spring, when um, the unfortunate gentleman, and I forget his name now, set himself on fire in Tunisia, which then sparked... Mm. Arab Spring, but I'm pretty sure prior to that, there were many suicides. There were many equally disastrous, horrendous sorts of events that one could have easily looked at and gone, aha, that was the thing. That was it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. But for whatever reason, they, they didn't. Um, and so there's many, there's many things going on. But if we look at, look at those that sort of breaking, if you will, um, you, you know, you get to the situation if you're a politician and you've been following whatever it is, these, these um, World Health Organization, these various United Nations, IMF, whoever it happens to be, and you followed along the path, it's been easy money, it's been an easy take. But when, when, when things are easy, um, you don't really have any... any uh, a, there's no strength of character required, um, and B, um, even the cowards will just go along with it. Um, as soon as there's pushback, your leadership, and I hate to use that word because it's just uh, it's, it's, it's a misrepresentation of the sociopaths that typically inhabit these halls of power, but those particular individuals have to look at something and go, hang on, if I do X, there are repercussions and those could be uncomfortable for me. Um, and so, 
you know, there's enough of them every now and then that look at it and go, oh, no, that's that's too difficult for me or it's uncomfortable for me and I'm not really going to play that game or it's no longer worth me playing that game. And so they sort of sense the political winds shifting and they will just shift along with them. And in order to kind of bring them to heel, so to speak, um, they need more coercion. They need more... Um, money thrown at them, they might, you know, I'm, I'm quite sure that the Epstein scandals and things of this nature have been um, a very, very fan, a very good model um, whereby if you can get people in particular positions of power into, um, into situations which would um, be very uncomfortable for them, then you don't necessarily need a whole lot of capital to coerce them. You can coerce them with just, you know, this, the, um, the fact that you have something over their head. But, you know, to do that across the world at scale, I think is um, uh, it's probably not been done to the extent maybe that they would have wished it was done. And so hence, we're seeing some fracturing, um, certain states, certain regions, certain countries saying, hmm, this isn't really working for us anymore. Um, and if I go the way that you're wanting me to go, I'm probably not going to have a job or I'm not going to get elected or whatever, um, you know, I might get beaten up in the streets as one of the, um, I think it was a mayor in Brazil had. Um, I don't know if you saw that. It was a few months back, but um, where, where people were literally beating this this guy up in the streets because um, of mandates that he had been put in. So as there's been fracturing, um, you know, humanity looks at that and goes, aha, that's actually working. That's good. And so it emboldens people. So there's two elements. One is the emboldening. The second is just pain. You lost your job. You might have lost your career. You might have lost your home. You might have, you know. And when you lose all of those things, then you have less to less to hold you back. Um, and so we're reaching that point. Um, and right now, it feels very much like this is, the, this is the critical point because if Canada falls, um, and when I say fall, I mean in a good way. If, it, if, if Trudeau and um, crowd had to back down, Whew, that's no, that's going to be a tough call for Australia, for New Zealand, for Germany, Austria. The um, the, the, the 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 phrase of poetry that I, I recall from that is from I think it's Yeats. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. You only need one big win for humanity, and the whole thing can potentially, you know, that 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 can achieve a domino effect. Exactly, exactly, and then it's very difficult to hold that back. So there's a rush on. Um, and they have to hold this together. The issue that you've got is it's a bit like whack-a-mole, right? Mm. As as the momentum is gaining um, and gathering force over in Canada, you're, you're seeing you're, you're seeing, yeah, you're seeing trucking convoys in Jerusalem now. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's um, the way I see it is they have to they have to hold Canada. Um, and there's only a couple of ways they can do that. 
they can't they, they can't back down. Um, that would be a an acknowledgement that everything that has preceded it um, was in fact a lie and a fraud, at least to some extent. And you don't need a huge amount of people to believe that. All you need is a probably ten percent to believe it vehemently, and you've got a very real problem on your hands. Mm. Um, and so <clears throat> they have to they have to they have to squash it. The only way is the, I guess the question is how they do, go about doing that. Um, I would not be surprised to see some sort of false flag event of some nature, which which they utilize to then. Um, distract and qualify um, behaviors that would not otherwise, you know, be acceptable. Not that they would be acceptable, anyways. Um, I think they desperately, desperately would love for Putin to invade Ukraine. Um, <laughs> it would be a um, a very timely setup for them to to have some level of distraction. Um, but to, to anyone that doesn't get their news feed from the, the likes of the BBC, the, the whole Ukraine thing seems like such a confected, to use your word, distraction. It's it, it's difficult to take it seriously. I mean, it would be it would be laughable if it wasn't so serious. Yeah, yep. It's clear from. I mean, look, I I have feeds of. Um, and I've got an analyst that tracks a lot of the stuff. We we track the, the sort of mainstream feeds, <clears throat> not not because we believe any of it, but because it's important to try and understand what what the enemy is thinking. Pushes are pushing. You know, mm. so you, you look at something. And you go, okay, what is the objective behind that? Because it's pure propaganda. So you need to understand what the propagandists have, what their intention is. What is it that they're trying to? achieve with that um and 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 from that aspect um i mean if you just take google trends for example and you and you look at what is being uh, reported on the different sides if you will um in say for right here's a perfectly simple one um one of my analysts sits and looks at this the mentions of ukraine and invasion and everything else um, in Russian media, in the former CIS republics, in China, in Southeast Asia, are vastly different to those being reported from the BBC, from CNBC, from CNN, from CBC. Um, and, you know, so you straight away immediately see that there's this huge, huge disconnect um and, and the one side is basically not really talking about it much at all and then the other side is saying it's imminent and it's all coming and and mm. the russians are coming the russians are coming um and now, now they may well do so who knows but when you sort of see this sort of build up and you see these disconnects um and then you know it's it's like a, a bit of a chessboard um there's not uh, things don't happen, I guess, in isolation, um, you know. So, for example, if you go back and you think about um, previous, previous, ex okay, well, let me put it this way. Right now, 
Um, there are Chinese warships that are in the South China Sea. They're doing flyovers over Taiwan um, regularly. There's a huge, huge push in China domestically that's talking about Taiwan. There's a clear propaganda event taking place there whereby they will take Taiwan like they took Hong Kong. Um, and there's not a whole lot of talk about that in the West right now, which is kind of extraordinary, given that the West actually have military personnel um, in and, and protecting Taiwan, which they haven't had in Ukraine. To be honest, no one's really given a shit about Ukraine. For mm. it's, a, it's a corrupt, broken, it's not even a country, it's, it's a mishmash. Um, people go back, want to go back into the history of it. So um, yeah, we've uh, one of the things that that is is evident to me is that when 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 you get a power vacuum, which is what we have right now, those vacuums always get filled. And we've been watching that now for years. And so, I mean, it was it began with the Obama administration with the United States pulling back militarily um, from that, you know, global watchdog role. But that was always going to get filled, and we're seeing it being filled increasingly. Um, so if we just think about Ukraine, I mean, if you were in Ukraine and you were thinking, okay, well, the United States are going to come and save us, Let's just take that popular narrative. I mean, what, how different is that viewpoint now, today, compared to even just 10 years ago? I mm. suggest it's hugely different. Why? Because they just left $80 billion worth in, in the hands of the Taliban and said, hasta la vista, see you later. That's all good. Mm. Um, so, you know, the... If you're a Ukrainian thinking, well, it's okay, we'll, we'll be safe, the American military are going to come to our rescue, it's just a very, really, very really naive sort of way of thinking about things if we just were to look back at the last year alone. And so um, when, I, when you think about it like that, there's no real incentive. There's no real – it's certainly not about democracy. I mean, if the US really was about democracy, it would have invaded Canada for God's sakes. So what is life actually like for you there? What, what, what's changed for you? They've brought in mandates for anybody that's client face. So if you're in a restaurant, if you're in a bar, if you're in a pub, if you're a hairdresser, um, if you're any, anybody in the medical profession, doctor, dentist, um, any of those, um, you've lost your job if you haven't taken the jab. Um, if you're a government employee, um, airlines, um, things like that, then um, you can't, if, if you're not jabbed, then you can't also use those services. Um, so I can't go to a hairdresser, which is fine. I don't have any hair. But, you know, those sorts of things. Um, we can't go out to a restaurant. Um Water. I mean, those sorts of things. I can't go to the gym. Um, 
you know, so so those are those have all been brought in. So that's that's had a fairly um, dramatic effect on on many people. Of course, especially so if you were reliant on an income and you had you know you worked in one of those professions, schools as well. So school or school teachers, um, they've lost jobs, nurses, you name it, um, and. And that looks like it's probably, it depends on the industry, but you're looking at about 20%, which makes a huge amount of sense to me because it comes back to the Pareto distribution. Um, it's, in, in some respects, I think it's a fantastic sort of thing. If we could all sit here and say, hey, globally, imagine we could find, uh, and just for, for listeners um, who are quite sure they know what the Pareto distribution is, but it's often called the 80-20 distribution. Um, and if we were to say, okay, let's find the, the 20% in the world that are probably the most um, insightful, thoughtful, um, and quite possibly productive of society, where how might we conduct an experiment to find out who those people are? Well, they kind of all just put their hand up, didn't they? So, um, but to answer your question, Paul, um, it's it's impacted varying groups disproportionately, obviously. Um, for us personally, um, you know, I'm not reliant on any other person for. Um, you know, income or anything of that nature. So we're very fortunate in that respect. Um, but and and I, you know, quite frankly, I ignore everything. Um, I've never worn a mask. If I have to go in somewhere and they won't let me in because I am not wearing a mask, then I just t- don't go in. Is I'm sen- not going to get my money. Is sentiment changing um, there? Is it is it hardening in either direction? Yeah, I mean, there's people checking. But look, what you find is the the vast majority of people are cowards. They don't know what they're doing anyway. And so as soon as they meet any form of of real resistance, and, and, I, and I don't, it's not a physical thing. It's not a, you know, I don't abuse anybody. Um, I play with them. You know, a, a quick example. Okay, so... So last weekend I had to go and get some uh, zinc blocks for cattle. Right, um, this time of year, one of the things they can get is facial eczema, and so you give them a lot of zinc and and it and it helps them. So you get these zinc blocks and I, the cattle lick them, and I need to go get some. So I went down to a farm stall, and I walk in there and there's two guys sitting behind a desk. Both of them have got a mask on their chin, chatting away, doing their thing. I walk through the door. And immediately, and every every store here has these huge big signs saying you have to wear a mask, you have to you know spray some shitty sanitizer on your hands as you walk through the door, and you've got to scan in with your tracer app. Okay, so you yeah, I walk past these stupid things. Um, they both immediately put their masks up over their face, and one of them jumps up. Doesn't say hello, doesn't say anything. He's immediately, where's your mask? Where's your mask? And I thought that was rather rude. Um, and so 
I just responded with, where's your zinc? Where's your zinc? And each time he said, but you need, he said, you need a mask. I said, I, I really need some zinc. He goes, zinc. Uh, and, he, and he sort of was like, didn't know what to say. And he's, he's, he says, but there's a sign. I said, I need, ma- mate, I just need some zinc. But he says, but you, you have to wear a mask in here. I said, zinc. And he's like, but a mask, zinc. <laughs> and, and then he just, he just, you could see his whole body just deflated because he didn't know what else to do. Every time he said mask, I said zinc because it seemed as stupid to me as anything else that you could yell at somebody. Um, and he just then went and got me my zinc and I paid for it and walked out, wished him a happy day. Um, so, you know, and I have these experiences repeatedly. Um, you know, so you, you take a little bit of discomfort, but I just play with it because these people are just children. I was watching a Twitter clip. I was watching a Twitter clip yesterday of some guy paying a fine sixty dollars uh, in a small change against old people, a bunch of people who are also wearing masks. To, to go very briefly back to something you were talking about earlier about basically the, the lack of an external savior uh, to, to to change things. There's a tweet I put out yesterday. A lot of people quote: "A lot of people are waiting for Martin Luther King or Mahatma Gandhi to come back, but they are gone. We are it. It is up to us. It is up to you." And someone rather wonderfully um, responded, um, and I hadn't heard this one before, we are the people we've been waiting for, which I quite liked. Yeah, the, the, the question I was going to ask about um, the, the situation uh, where, where you are now is um, given that the Omicron variant is widely regarded as being much milder, hasn't, hasn't sentiment changed for, you know, in, in the sense that, people are starting to think they don't need to do anything anymore. I mean, it's just, we're seeing this across the globe. Look, you're right, Paul. Globally, and and I said this, (laughs) shit, I think it was June, July of 2020. So I was was too early, but what I said then, and I I feel like it's rolling out now, was I said that it's going to become increasingly difficult to hold together a narrative that is so flawed because what it is is a lie. And so in order to hold a lie together, you've got to tell many other lies. It's a little bit like Johnny who's just stolen the cookie and you walk in and you go, Johnny, we're missing a cookie. I, I didn't take it. I didn't, it wasn't me. What a, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Exactly. exactly. And each lie then, you know, <sighs> you didn't eat it, Johnny. No, the dog ate it, but we don't have a dog, Johnny. <laughs> but, but it was a bird that flew in the window, and, and he took it, you know, but the window is shut, Johnny. And, and you just, you know, that's literally where we are today in so many respects. And so, you know, even the, even, even the most gullible and naive are sort of saying, mm, this doesn't kind of quite feel like it's right. And, you know, so because... I mean, we know we know all of these sorts of things. Of uh, you know, you sit down and, and you're fine, and the, the virus won't get you. And if you've got a group of ten, it's fine. A group of eleven, then it's deadly, and you know all this sort of nonsense. So, um, and and we, you know, what that means is you get to this point of um, where where people are complying with something because it's a, it's easy it's easy thing to do. It's the easy thing to do, but, but and this is the critical thing. It's not because they believe it. 
Mm. And so if you go back and, and you um, look at how Eastern Europeans, for example, functioned behind the wall, you know, they, they'd reached a point where nobody believed it. They all knew that it was propaganda. What's that? What was that saying? Um, I think it was Solzhenitsyn. Yeah, we know and they know that we're lying and they know that we know that they're lying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they still lie. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there's this, we're, we're very much at that point now where people are increasingly numbers are calling it out and at least whispering to each other that it doesn't, I know, we don't know, it doesn't really make sense. And so, for example, if I go back to like a year ago, it was, you know, the whole mask wearing nonsense. Um, much, much more difficult. Now I just walk around and don't wear a mask and, and I don't, there's far fewer people now that challenge me. There's, there's far more in a supermarket who will look at me and wink and maybe, mm. and, and we've seen this where some of them take it off, right? Because they're just, they're looking for a, an easy way to back down. They're looking for a leader. They're looking for, mm. for for somebody to say, it's okay, you can take it off now. Um, and by walking around without a mask, is, is that's exactly what you're doing because people go, oh, he's getting away with it. I wear this damn thing and he's doing it. So then I've literally watched this happen, walking around and people will have, a, have their mask on and then they'll see you and guess what they do? They'll slip it under their nose so that, oh, my nose is exposed. I'm being a bit of a rebel now. And so... You know <laughs> that that's that's happening um, in increasing numbers. So, um, and I'll give you another quick example too. And, and I think this is true from as, as a global phenomenon, not not, and it's not so. It's not unique to where I am. My daughter rides horses, and um, they got they had an event where if you if you're vaccinated you're allowed to have i don't know 100 people or something at an event if you're not vaccinated then it's you can only have 25 people now they're all on bloody horseback i mean for good goodness sake you, they're not getting near each other even you know anyway now they had a big event um and the, the, you know there's a number of different things at these horse events um different arenas as they call them so there's you know, someone's jumping something over here and, and another one over there, they're doing dressage and they, you know, there's all these different events. And so instead of them saying, oh, well, you know, we've got 150 people and every, everybody has to be vaccinated for this 150 people, they just said, oh, and we've got different events and each of them is um, kind of more than 25 people, which you never have more than 25 people in a bloody arena anyway. So you had exactly the same event, right, but they just changed the rules or change the way that they were wording it so that everybody could participate. And so basically everybody was just acknowledging that it's a lot of hogwash and they were going to carry on and they were going to just do their thing, but they needed to just adjust the rules, if you will, to comply. When, you, when, a, when a society reaches that point, legitimacy has failed. Legitimacy has failed. Now, you couple that with all of the extraordinary hardship that has been put on people, and then you have a failure in trust. And when you have a failure in trust in the asset markets, we all know what that looks like, right? The, at the tippy, tippy point of that is your bond market. And Tim, you brought up that question before. You said, what do you think about the bond market? I mean, my, 
I felt like the bond market basically turned back in 2016, which I still think it did because post 2016, what we had was just central banks buying up um, like all secondary issuance. And- everything, everything just went to, I don't know if you remember Spaceballs, which is not a very good film, but it does have this wonderful coinage set, set the engines to ludicrous speed and they go to ludicrous speed. And that's when the, you know, the central banks went to ludicrous speed in 2016. They did. Yep. And so, because if you look from that point on and you take real inflation as measured by shadow stats, John, I don't know if, you, if uh, yeah. listeners have, um, it's, a, it's a fantastic website. And what, what John Williams does is he basically calculates inflation as it was calculated before um, the point issues came along and decided to hedonically adjust everything. And so if you take the inflation rate and then you go and you look at the bonds, bonds were falling, right? Because if your bonds, if if your yield on your bonds not exceeding inflation or not or not keeping up with it, you're losing purchasing power. Mm. It's as simple as that. And so, you know, a lot of people are looking at that bond price and the yields and saying, oh well, it's going down, it's going up. No, you need to actually adjust it correctly for either deflation or inflation to understand what the true true numbers. So I think that turn was actually back in, in 2016, um, but it's now just one whereby people are waking to it because it's so egregious that it's pretty mm. hard to ignore. I mean, inflation in the US now is running around about 15% according to the way it used to be calculated, um, which is vastly di- to the, different to the 7.5 print that's just come out or 7.8. Um, but that in itself has, has woken people up um, and and now there's a concern, right? So, um, I mean, I think that the legitimacy there has failed. It's failing in the monetary system. It's failing in the social system. And- so, so uh, you, what you're describing is basically a global um, uh, holistic loss of trust. In everything, mainstream media, the establishment, you name it. Everything, Tim, that was built post-World War II. If you think about what, 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 what did we do? Came out of the rubble. We built institutions. Uh, Su- supranational institutions. Yeah. Um, and, and for the most part, in the, in the, you know, in the initial days, they were trustworthy. You could trust your Siemens. You could trust Philips. Um, Volkswagen, maybe. Volkswagen, maybe. Exactly. And so a lot of these, and yes, there was always um, greed, right? And so there was occasionally shenanigans that that went on. Um, But for the most part, um, it it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't a trust issue. Uh, Imagine imagine being able to trust a pharmaceutical company. I wonder what that must be like. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and health is one of the biggest components of it. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's extraordinary um, that that particular sort of sector, if you will. And so all of those institutions of trust, um, the NATO, the United Nations, the IMF, all of these, you know, those large organizations all the way down to 
um, your food industry um, to the pharmaceutical industry, and then you, and then you know down into the local government level, those institutions are um, are failing people at a blistering rate, and they're being exposed. And so you know the, the thing for investors to, uh, to ask themselves is, what do you want to own when you can't trust anything? And back to what we began this particular conversation with, if we just eliminate the things that don't actually make sense, you know, you go and take the Russell, you take the NASDAQ, you take... Mm. Um, the fangs. The fangs, the Tiger 40. I mean, you, you, there are justifiably good companies in there, but a justifiably good company isn't isn't... You know, if it's trading at some eye-bleed valuation, it's still a problem. Mm. If you've got to wait 100 years to get the value back, then, well, that's that's still a problem. Um, and then you are still placing your trust in typically a large organization. You're trusting a Volkswagen. You're trusting a... You know, one of these large organizations, um, and and that's people don't they're going to lose trust. They're already losing trust in those organizations. Um, Pfizer, Moderna, I'm just writing about them now. Mm. You know they, those stocks are falling over. I don't know um, if you gents follow Ed Dowd, the ex BlackRock fund. He's become a bit of a whistleblower. He's exactly that, um, and. You know, it's funny because I was writing about the um, the insurance side of things um, when, when those when those first uh, insurance guys over in the states came out and said, "Oh, hang on a second, we've got a problem here. We've got like a forty percent increase, and this is sort of a you know um, <laughs> one in a uh, what was it a no, it wasn't one in two hundred year event because." One in a four hundred year event, or something of that nature. Forget now. Six Sigma, Six Sigma, yeah, exactly. Um, which is a funny thing because back many years ago, when I was working at JP Morgan, I remember working with a Six Sigma team, <laughs> a, a bunch of uh, kids who had all you know run the algos and said this is this is the sort of thing that should never happen, and so on and so forth. And um, and then yeah, and and here's the funny part. When I was working with those guys, that was in 1998, <laughs> We all know what happened to the stuff of that, don't we? Six Sigma sounds like it's the kind of team that should be managed by Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, except these guys are all geeks. Um, you know, the, the, sort of, the sort of genes that... Uh, you didn't always just go and sit down and have a drink at the pub with because they were boring as fuck. So to, to get back to the, the thing about trust, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you love gold? It's funny. Gold, I've not we've had a position in the fund um in gold. Actually in gold equities. Right? Yeah. So, you know, pretty keeping it pretty very simple, not trying to get fancy with it. Mm. Just buying GDX basically. Um and I always felt that because if you go back into history, gold doesn't necessarily move on inflation. It moves on a lack of trust. It moves on a loss of faith. And I was like, well, I'm waiting, waiting for that. Um, 
because if it's inflation, which I believe we're going to have, actually stagflation to be accurate, mm. um, coupled with this extraordinary narrative that um, uh, Ms. Thunberg has, has brought forward, I've, we've been v- like balls long energy. I mean, energy has just been where, where we've, we've um, placed our bets. And then, you know, this, the, the market downturn that we just had beginning of this year, and so we're in February now. Let's just say the last month, roughly. Mm. I always like these sorts of you know downturns because I like to look at different asset classes to see how they behave under under those sorts of circumstances. It's a little bit like having a bunch of friends, okay, and you're all mates, and you go out one night, and then you're walking down an alley, and and you come across a bunch of thugs, and they all want to beat you up. Who are your real friends? Who runs away, and who stands with you? Right, and you want the guys that are going to stand with you. So that's because now pressure's on. Okay, so pressure's on. Who's standing up? What are the markets looking like? Mm. What's, what's working? What's not working? Um, and so gold didn't do a whole lot, but that was kind of like I was like, it's just not doing anything. And then when I look at the charts, it was consolidating. You know, um, and net. Hedges are still net short. I'm like, what the, what the hell is wrong with these people? Um, even through market sell-offs in the Nasdaq and the Russell and Facebook's twenty you percent know, move, all this kind of stuff, and gold is just kind of sitting there, not really doing a whole lot. And I thought that's really cool because when this breaks, I can't really see it breaking to the downside because it hasn't really gone anywhere for bloody mm. years, right? Um, and so. You know, you're always looking for asymmetry, and asymmetry is two things. One is risk reduction, which people tend to forget because they're often like, oh, I just want to make a whole lot of money. Um, Yeah, I want to make money, but I don't want to take risk. So, you know, I think the downside is extraordinarily low right now. Um, I think the, you know, look, if anybody was going to sell, given the market experience that we just had in the last month, if they were going to need to liquidate and get liquid and buy T-bills and do all the things that you know, people might have done in previous market downturns, they would have done that, um, and they have. But guess what? Gold hasn't gone anywhere, which tells me that the weekends are gone. Mm. So to answer your question, um, pretty bullish. Mm. Bullish. Um, we still have a higher weighting in energy, but, um, but yeah, really liking um, – Really liking gold. Now you were you were in crypto, but um, I'm thinking that you've you've maybe you're maybe out of most, if not all, of those positions now. Yeah, that was that was way back. So we started legging out at like 45, and we basically top ticked the market at 60. Which which by the way, there was no foresight behind that. There was no crystal balls. It was like, but you know, there were a couple of things at the time. We had. Uh, porn style shilling crypto, and um, you know what was the other thing? Um, Raul was coming out with exponential logarithmic growth, which I thought sounded fantastic, but also sounded nuts. And I thought I've seen all this sort of stuff before. Mm. And so um, you know, it was two things. Um, one was when I can look around and I can buy coal stocks on double digit yields at one time's book with a growing demand 
a decreasing supply, when I can buy those things and they can easily, they can go up three times and still be cheap. Or do I hang on to Bitcoin at 60,000 and hope it mm-hmm. That's a dumb move. It just, I, I don't need much more than that to know what I need to do with my money. So we got out of that. Um, I haven't got back in. And I don't think we will for some time. I mean, on a personal basis, I've got some because I kind of like the the utility value of having something that's outside of the, the sort of banking system. And there's definitely a sleep at a sleep at night attribute with gold that is, is difficult to difficult to find in other assets. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's small for me. Um, you you meant nice, with Bitcoin though, didn't you, Chris? Yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Bitcoin. Sorry, Bitcoin, not gold. Um, and and um, I just put a tweet out now, now uh, because I, I, my buddy George um, just mentioned that he's watched the Super Bowl and there's crypto ads everywhere. Um, and then we had it was a few months back. I wrote about it. We had Matt Damon basically calling everybody a pussy who wouldn't buy Bitcoin. I'm like this. <laughs> This is not the sort of thing that you see at the bottom of markets. And I like to buy things that are cheap, not things that are expensive or that everybody's shilling. And so- I, I normally wait for an endorsement by Rihanna. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that night, I, I was a little bit upset because I saw Jim Cramer coming out and getting bullish oil. So, no. uh, but, you know, um, no, gold, um, gold, oil, oil and gas, um, uranium. Still, I mean, we had a good run in uranium. It's pulled back. Um, and so, you know, we've added a bit more there. I think that's just going to be that's going to be a nice play for the next few years. I don't see it going away at all. Um, and all of these work climate Nazis are um, they're going to have to change their tune. I mean, I just saw the European Union coming out. They're des- now looking to designate natural gas as a, as a renewable, not as a fossil fuel. It's not a fossil fuel anymore. Now it's a renewable. Well, of course it is if you're freezing. Anything's fucking renewable if, if you're freezing and it's going to stop you from freezing. So um, uranium, I think, can fit into that bucket and already is to some extent. Um, and we've gotten ourselves into a huge, huge in- energy crisis. Um, we're not going to run the world on intermittent power. Um, the batteries that it would require are not going to happen. They're just not going to happen. Um, you know, no matter what your ideology, that that physical limit is not going to bend to the ideology. So, and what are we? There's about 3% of global electricity supplies, wind and solar. Um, and that's after 25 years of, of this stuff, which most of it's been subsidized. So I, I suspect the green crowd are going to keep pushing this. So we're also long um, the elements that are required to go into that, you know, because everybody's like, oh, we just need batteries. Yay. We're going to run the world in batteries. Okay, that's cool. So it's things like um, lithium. Little, yeah, we've we've got rare earths, um, but copper. Copper's a huge one. Um, copper's done well for us. We that's an, actually that's another thing. We're just talking about what 
what assets do in, in these periods of market upheaval. If you look at what's just happened in the last couple of months, take a look at bonds. They all got smashed. Normally, people would rush into bonds, correct? Because that's your safe haven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, that dog won't hunt. It's not hunting. Um, NASDAQ smashed. Russell smashed. The Spoos is smashed. Even the Dow's getting walloped. Um, What's held up? Well, crude's at, what, 94 bucks? Um, And interestingly, copper, good old Dr. Copper, is just trucking along. In fact, it looks quite similar to gold. Um, so I quite like that. Uh, but then if you if you go into that whole wind and solar thing, you know, we've got things like cement, steel, glass companies, um, all of that stuff, we're going to need truckloads of that. Um, I mean, I don't think the greenies understand that we're going to have to start mining the planet like it's never been mined before because, yeah, I mean... It's it's it would be an ecological disaster actually to try and run the run the world on on these things, uh, but I suspect they're going to continue to try. So we're invested into um, the core components that are required to build your solar or required to build your wind or your batteries. Um, I mean, we're we're going to need anywhere from like a two hundred to about three four thousand percent increase in the supply um, of many of these resources to meet these objectives of countries and governments who've said by 2030, 2035, depending on your country, um, we're going to be all electric or we're going to be meet X carbon goal. So they're not, um, but in the process of getting there, they're going to do two things. They're going to print a shitload of money and they're going to throw it at ridiculous schemes. And so, the best that we can do is try and profit um, on the tail end of that um, so that we don't get run over in in, um, in what will be a very stagflationary environment. I think we just got to get used to having less stuff because that's, that's what's going to happen. We're just going to have a whole lot less stuff. So living standards fall and, and the only way you can – keep your living standard high is to have enough money so you can outbid the next guy to get that stuff that you want. Um, do, you know, do you have fridge a, breaks down? Do you, you need a, you need a new fridge and, and you know, you got a six month wait for fridges. How do you not have a six month month wait for fridges? Well, you get to the front of the fucking queue because you pay twice the amount for the fridge. You, you know, we'll, we'll get into this phase where corruption will become um, we'll, we'll start solving, I say corruption, if governments get out of the way and let some capitalism function, um, the prices will just get bid high enough that we'll go out and start creating that supply. The, the, black, economy, the, black, economy replaces, the black economy replaces the pretend economy. Yeah, and I think that's going to happen, Tim, because governments aren't going to get out of the way. And, and that's also on a geopolitical basis where we're watching who steps away from this great reset first and foremost is going to receive far more capital and benefit um, than those who try and hang on to 
a twisted ideology. And so I think we're actually in, in, the, in the first inning of a huge shift in wealth, not just into to different like rotation into sectors, um, which is our belief it's out of growth assets into value, it's mm. out of um, tech into commodities, precious metals, energy, resources. It's all of those things, but it's also on a ge- geographical basis. I mean, it could even be, out, out of, depending on how things pan out, it could even be out of US into Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the reasons I'm one of the sorry to, to interrupt Paul one of the reasons I'm I'm personally more upbeat than I've been for a while is it was expressed by I think it was a a, a pharmacist in someone running a pharmacy in in the Midlands and, he, and this was on reported on Twitter six weeks ago um, and he said those those who are awake are not going to go back to sleep and those who are asleep can only but get awake so in in that sense this is a, this is a mathematical certainty. If you if you take that sort of general line, there are basically there are a lot more of them than there are there are a lot more of us than there are of them. So I, I don't see how this can now plausibly last indefinitely because every day more and more people are waking up. That's exactly where we're at. That's exactly where we're at, and they know it. So the risk now is that it, things get bloody. Things 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 may well get bloody. Consolidate their gains, okay? But their gains are humanity. Right, so like when we consolidate our gains, guys, what do we do? We take money off the table. It's easy. It's not a problem. We just do it, and no one's no one's upset about it. But if you're one of these globalists and you've just acquired this extraordinary amount of power over people's lives, where you've got them walking around masks, where you've got them um, uh, following mandates, um, you know, not going to work and then going to work and you know, sitting down, standing up when you're told to. I mean, just you've got so much power over them. When you've got to that point, how do you take your gains off the table? You can't. There is no taking your gains off the table in that. There is just simply trying to consolidate that. And how do you consolidate that? Well, you have to now keep all of those people that you managed to get to do this. You've got to keep them doing it forever. And this is where the this is where the whole ideology was flawed because we're seeing it. So there's plenty of people who went out there and they got double jab because they didn't want to lose their job or because they wanted to travel or because they thought it was a good idea, whatever. But what's it look like with a booster? Are they, you know, <laughs> this is it's just entropy, right? So we can look at Israel as a good example. Yeah, double double vaxxed was it like 90-odd percent. Then you went to triple and it fell. And then they're, they're up to the fifth jab now, right? But, you know, what is how many people took the fifth jab as opposed to the first two? Was it more or was it less? It was way less. Each respective um, additional vaccine that's required is getting a lower and lower participation which is a lower level of trust because people are going, I don't trust this anymore, which ironically, or actually not, it's, how is this different to the credit system? I was going to say it's like QE. It's like QE. Yeah. Exactly. It's achieving less and less of a result until you reach that point where it's actually a negative 
and no one's, you know, there is no point in actually putting any more credit into the system. Now you just let the thing fall over. And so we're reaching the same point in terms of uh, psyche amongst the world's populace where they're just going, there's no more, up. I'm not taking the booster. I know plenty of people um, here domestically who were all for it and you got to do your thing and they were even angry at me for not doing this or any other thing. And I'd say probably around about 20% of them now are like, they're not angry at me anymore. They don't, they don't, they don't disagree with me. They think I'm, I'm a loon maybe, but they're not going to take the booster. They're adamant they're not taking the booster. That's a huge change. And so what it, what it tells you is that they no longer believe. They no longer trust. And so what's needed then is some extra stimulant, right? It's like the drug addicts just it's worn off. So they need some really big boost. Question is, what is that big boost? Is it some other catastrophe, some other manufactured crisis? Um, who knows? But this particular gig that they've been running is over. It's over and it's, and it's running out of steam fast. And for many of these uh, leaders, they're trying to figure out how to deal with this. That's why Trudeau didn't know what the fuck to do. He, he didn't know. He couldn't go out and talk to them because he didn't know what to say to them. Firstly, because he had no, no real intention of actually solving the problem. And the same is true here with Ardern. She has no intention of solving the problem, but she doesn't know what to do. So they're putting the sprinklers on people, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and they tried to beat them up with the police and then that went viral on videos. And so they backed down on that. Um, and, of course, there were 10 police officers who, who saw all of that going on and the next day resigned. And so, you know, um, they're, they're, she's sitting there going, shit, what do I do? She's probably got a hotline out to Klaus going, what do I do? Um, do you think do you think the mainstream media is going to hold the line or is that going to are we going to see some dissent amongst the ranks there Look there's been dissent all along it's just been called resignations and firing mm, mm. um we've had a lot of them here in New Zealand But you know, do you think there'll come a point where someone in the in the mainstream media actually grows a pair and just says look enough 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 this is this is what's going on and then takes a principled stand Well the issue you know, at least with respect to New Zealand, is that um, the government funds the media. There is mm. no private sector media. There is no private sector media here, um, not really any to speak of. And so, which which is distinctly different to the UK and the United States where, um, well, no, you don't have, you have varying different media sources, mainstream media sources, and they have somewhat differing ideologies or, or, or political leanings. But here the government has now become the main, the main contributor to, to the media, so it's, it's, the, it's still the biggest spender. It's still the biggest spender, but what you've got um, over there are your more independent-type sources, which have big followings. Mm. Um, which we don't have yet. So if we take the more egregious example in the United States, you've got Joe Rogan, who's what, like 11 times bigger than, than CNN. CNN and probably more now because they've done him a, wonder, a wonderful job of, of pointing people in his direction. 
Um, so, you know, we don't have anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know quite how that plays out. Um, you know, there, but I'm not sure we necessarily even needed to come from the mainstream because there is, there's definitely an awakening. Mm. Um, I mean, I've been, you know, you, you, there's protests now every single day um, in various towns and you drive past and the numbers are growing. Mm. Just like in, in the last month, the numbers are growing. The other thing that's happening is because <clears throat> um, I, I, you know, I speak to people that are at these, the number of people, for example, that are going past and hooting, like two months ago, it was maybe one in 10 cars would hoot and be like, yay, you know, we're pro what you're doing. Now it's probably about one in four. Um, distinct change, real distinct change. Um, so that's a, this is a huge problem for this and any other government um, is just a people movement, a real people movement, because what's fascinating about this this time around is there is very little or no political opposition. Um, you guys have got it. Who, like, who are you going to go for? Corbyn? Is Corbyn calling this out? I mean, like, who else is out there in the political spectrum in the UK? Yeah, the way the way I look at this is that, you know, things seemed fairly bleak in the UK in the late 70s. And then almost out of nowhere, Thatcher came along. So cometh the hour, cometh the person that can write the ship. But they're not visible until they're visible. I think that's what it's going to have to be. And, and you know, I, I said this about a year ago. I said, you know what? The only way I can see this actually transpiring is third party um, politics. Mm. And, um, and so... <sighs> If we think about, like, think about Joe Rogan. Now, I, you know, he's not a politician. I doubt he would ever run. But, but like, people have latched on to that desire for an independent source of information mm. to try and ascertain what the truth is, to try and ascertain what the news is. Um, or just to have a discussion. I mean, it's it's the thing about the Joe Rogan podcast is he just has people on and they talk about the issues in an open and, and unfettered way. And it's and that's not what we're getting from from anywhere in the mainstream media. You, you can't shut arguments down on the other side and then not expect people to to then you know go Drift down off, go somewhere else. Yeah, and and look, the, the, it, it creates more um it pushes people down further into rabbit holes that don't exist it allows for certain crazy ideas to be perpetrated um because you're not allowing anybody to talk about the issues so the, the weird thing about this is that it's like the media don't don't understand the media which is yeah. a bit like the number of people working in finance that don't understand money <laughs> yes that's right it's a very good way of putting we have it. a lot of those <laughs> yeah um there is Ross Gerber out there always. 
But um, should we um, should we should we, should we move towards in the direction of media picks? Yeah, I think you're that? absolutely right, Tim. I, but I just want to ask a very a couple of <clears throat> quick questions with regards to energy because I think Chris, you make a, some really interesting points there, and obviously you've invested in energy. I always thought that the energy crisis in Vertcom's problem was partly down to the fact that we can't store it, and I know you mentioned batteries, but it's it is a storage problem for me rather than a generation what well it's clearly a problem of generating power but it's a storage power and if somebody can can find a way like not using batteries but using another form of technology and they've they've done it with um like uh pumping water uh in i think there's a the place in there's a place in wales where they move this really heavy weight up the side of a hill and at, and it's used to take the pressure off the grid, you know. So they use cheap electricity to to bring it to the top, and then when they need it, they generate electricity, bringing it back down again. We need something like ideas like that to generate and and store energy because it's obviously very hot in the summer, it's very cold in the winter, and we're trying to compress those those two um, those two elements when it comes to power and heating. Um, in that regard, and obviously cars and, and other things require different uh, energy sources. But um, also with your investments in in crude oil and, and energy, is there, a, is there a specific target that you're looking for where similarly to Bitcoin, you said, well, I think that that's probably enough? Um, or will you just exit the position um, when other circumstances suggest that you should? Yeah, it's not. I don't. I don't look at price. Price is relative to the underlying conditions, right? And so, um, you know, it's the, Howard Marks, the founder um, of Oak Tree Capital, who's just a fantastic mind and uh, a legendary investor. Had a, he put out a piece? I think it was last month, and he talked about selling and why people sell and um for anybody that's listening you should go and read it it's it's a it's a brilliant brilliant piece and he talks about you know various times in history where you could have bought xyz company um, and if you bought it at the lows you could have been up 10 times and you know that that brain which says oh i should be you know this is it's now 20% of my portfolio and it started off as 5% and I should reweight and I should rebalance. Um, and he makes the argument that why would you, if it's, if it's, you know, if at, if it's gone up 10 times and yet it is still just as valuable or possibly even cheaper, right? Because let's just say the revenues are climbing and market cap can, can be higher, but if, if if the profitability is higher, um, it can actually be cheaper, of course. So he he makes the argument to say you've got to actually look at it independent of any previous positioning that you've had. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And I've tried to always sort of do that. And so when I think about the question that you asked, um, I try and look at the underlying fundamentals. What is it that you know, do we have enough energy in whatever, in oil and gas, in uh, uranium? In you know, you look at those underlying fundamentals. What is the 
what do the drawdowns look like? What's the um, capex spend looking like for the majors? Do you know what are their what's the inventory looking like? What's their order book looking like? And all these sorts of things. And you basically the weird situation that we have now is <sighs> no one's really spending any money. Mm. Um, you know, it's just as shitty now as it was when oil was twenty bucks. And um, and a big part of the reason behind that is this ideology um, that's that's pushing through. And if you're um, if you're an institutional investor, it's bloody hard to get your board to agree for you to go out and then invest in oil and gas. Um, so you're treated as if you're clubbing baby seal pups to death on a Sunday. Nobody wants to wants to talk to you. Well, maybe all the maybe all the intelligence isn't centered in the uh, large institutions. The, the the thing about position sizing that you 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 allude to there, I suspect that's related to our hardwired cave brain, whereby back when our ancient ancestors were roaming the plains, if you had a big position in, like, say, an antelope that you just killed, if it's a huge antelope, that makes you a bit of a target because people are going to want to nick it. So you probably want to you probably want to reduce that position until you're less of a target. Mm. Maybe that's it. But it's one of those things that's just completely innate, mm. and it, it it takes a lot to get, to go against. It's just human nature. Yeah, and and look, the- I bet no one ever anticipated a conversation involving position sizing in antelopes. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> look, I think it makes sense if you look if you're if you're spending your days doing something other than managing money, then and and not paying extraordinary amount of sort of time to this then i think that makes that makes a lot of sense that whole diversification side of things because um you're not you're not looking at it in depth however for me i'm like looking at it all the time i feel I'll- you, can, you can you can you can put all your eggs in, you can put all your eggs in one basket and then watch the basket yeah i mean to some extent but then even within that like i'm 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 looking at sectors tim so yeah. Within, like, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that I've got geopolitical risk that I'm trying to manage. So I don't want to get a sector right and be, you know, the guy in the wrong country just before, yeah, fucking the the mine floods, right? Yeah. So, uh, so you do need to have diversification within it. But if if look, think about all of the growth investors who've been into growth for the last twenty odd years, okay, and now we've got that growth. The fangs, if you will, make up about twenty five percent of the index of the s and p um, that's an extraordinary amount of concentration of risk. Mm. I would suggest most of those people don't think that they're actually in fact most people who bought the s and p think they're diversified mm. or oh, got the s and p five hundred five hundred seems like a lot I'm mm. good right no you're not twenty five percent of that is is actually in the fangs, so if you would then say would you be happy to have a 25% weighting in companies that are pretty pretty highly valued? Someone might go, oh, no, 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 I don't like the idea of that. But, you know, you're doing the same thing. So we'll have fairly high concentrations, Paul, in, in those energy stocks, I suspect, for some time. Um, and if, we, if you go through bull markets, um, the way that you look, how do you get how do you get a the the way you get a ten x return is to at least give yourself 
the time and the patience to get a 10x return. That's just the sort of reality, provided the underlying fundamentals are supportive of that taking place. So it really feels like that's where we're at today with with those energy stocks. And we're we're very diversified um, throughout. There's a lot you can do in that space. You know, there's there's you can buy majors, you can buy, I mean, one of the things that we we like to spend a lot of time on and, and focus on are things like but seismic companies, right? So these guys don't have huge capex, but a lot of them all went away because nobody was drilling, right? Um, so even your drillers, offshore drillers, nobody wanted to get in, into offshore oil. That was just bad news. And so many of them went bankrupt and just went away. So that pool of, of um, equities within that space of the sector is very, very small. And they own 100% of that sector now. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> I am putting my money where my mouth is. Over the next few years, I reckon the next, that's where the money is going to go to. It's going to go to offshore. It's not going to come from shale. So, um, and, then, and then you look at what are you paying for these things? Nothing. Because nobody's, everyone's forgotten about them. You try and find me an institutional fund manager that's out there looking for seismic um, uh, companies or, or offshore oil drillers. I mean, they just don't. So um, <clears throat> there's multiple ways to sort of diversify within any given sector, and I'd rather do that um, and then ride that that big trend, what I believe is going to be a monster, a monster trend. Brilliant. I mean, the, the trend in uranium, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the Global X uranium ETF here. And in 2011, it was trading at 134. In 2020, it hit a low, if you can believe this, of 6.95. Now, I remember when you were last on the show, if my memory serves me, and I'm sorry if I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, I was pretty sure that you were talking about uranium as a product to invest in it's now trading at uh, 21 so it's it's bounced very far from its low um but it's still got a long way to go in in relative terms and um i i think that's the only true answer to the so-called energy crisis 100 percent, i agree you know the other cool thing with uranium is that those previous bull and bear cycles run on it's a commodity, right? So we, we, we get the same sort of things in copper, in oil and gas, in many, many commodities. <clears throat> what makes this time different, and I um, <laughs> I hesitate to use that word, of course, because that's the, the old saying, it's, you know, it's never different this time, but there are some differences which are very unique this time. And they are that the alternatives, the alternatives are being um, severely hampered, shall we say, from from coming to fruition. You know, so because in the in the non-intermittent energy space, we basically have natural gas, oil, uranium, and coal. Okay, um, coal's the devil. 
Nobody wants to invest in coal. Oil's um, the sort of second devil. Natural gas now is just, you know, um, it's the devil in some parts. And in, in, and in some respects, they're saying maybe it's not quite as bad a devil. Um, but it's still a fossil fuel and it's not that loved and it's difficult to go and um, raise capital to, you know, expand that supply. It's also much more difficult to to transport, right? Um, there's a whole lot of logistics behind it that, that make it a little bit more difficult. Um, and then you've got uranium. Um, and so as, as this extraordinary carbon neutral push goes forward, there really is no other, they're going to have to go with uranium. Um, and so, uh, and then of course, nobody in the Western world wants to have another mine on their back door of any sort. Um, and, you know, to your point back in 20, 2011, um, from those highs down to the lows, we lost 92% of the companies in that space, which means, of course, that you've got about 8% of the companies coming out of the bottom owned 100% of that entire space. That's an asymmetric setup. So mm. to us, and, and I know we were early and we sat there and it basically just pissed us off for two years, <laughs> a position that didn't go anywhere. And then all of a sudden in about eight months, you know, we were up about 4X. And so, but to your point, um, I, I, we've still got a long ways to go on that particular trade, uh, which comes back to the conversation we had with respect to Howard Marks, where he makes the case saying, well, you know, if the fundamentals are still supportive, why would you sell it? Um, and that's where I sit with uranium today. It's pulled back since that initial run, um, but it's not going away. We don't have enough, and they're going to have to solve uh, this energy crisis in some shape or form. They're going to do a lot of extraordinarily stupid things, which is why we're invested in some of those. Um, which we mentioned before in the in the sort of renewable space, but we're not investing in some renewable company. We're just investing in copper and cement and steel and things of that nature. So uranium is 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 the only real answer. I think you're accurate in that. And just one final question before we go to media picks. Do you think that that um China will rebound and demand will increase because we're seeing the stock market there underperform and it looks like it's going to continue to go down. I'm not sure whether that relates to a demand and um, a, a problem in the economy or whether it's just mismanagement, but there's actually a lot of growth going on that's just not being reflected. It's obviously difficult to know. Um, but clearly when they start pressing the button to buy commodities, it makes a very big difference to the world. What's your take on, on their position? My take is they've been preparing for war. And one of those preparations has been to A, stockpile, and B, secure supply chains. And that's what they've been doing in the commodity markets. Um, and which which explains to me why over the last few years they've become far more antagonistic to 
many of their previous, shall we say, trading partners. Um, because they kind of can. If you've, it's like if you've built your hoard and you've got supplies um, lined up in Africa and elsewhere, um, you can easily turn around and say, well, no, I don't really want to play your game anymore. I never really was your friend. Now piss off sort of thing. And so there's an element of that I think that's taking place. The other thing that concerns me with respect to China is, and this is, I'll try and make this short because it's a long conversation, and it's one that um, for any listeners, if they want to get a deeper insight into it, um, there was a podcast done some time back with Jeff Schneider and um, Emil Kalinowski, and they talk about late-stage capitalism um, and how the communists view it. And I think that's what's taking place in China to some extent. And the late-stage capitalist idea was that, uh, and this was you know, brought on by Marx, who, who believed that it, it wasn't that communism was wrong, it was that it wasn't, it wasn't done at the right time. Okay. <laughs> Um, and so what they, the idea was that you needed to have capitalism, you know, build everything and, and, and when, when you get to the end of the capitalist system, there's nothing more that can be squeezed out of that particular orange. And that's a time then when the central planners need to come in and commandeer those assets and, and, um, and utilize them. Um, and if you look at what they've been doing, especially with their tech sector, that looks extraordinarily like what they're doing. So, you know, there's, there's an allowance to have something built, which you're not going to, under, under a communist system, you're not going to build it because there, there is no incentive to actually make that happen. Um, and when once it's built, they can come in and take over it and, and run it more efficiently. And I think to some extent that's what the uh, – the technocrats at the World Economic Forum also believe their belief, of course, is that they can run it via artificial intelligence and robots, and that'll optimize everything. And um, and so there's an element, I think, of or or a a synergy, if you will, between what the Chinese Communist Party are doing and what the technocrats at the World Economic Forum um, have in mind. So back to your question, um, there is quite a lot of value that we can see in some Chinese equities, mostly in small caps, which are being smacked down with a lot of the, the sort of negative Chinese sentiment and so on and so forth. Um, that do look quite attractive, most of them in literally like coal miners, for example. Um, but on, on, a, on a more macro scale, I think you could be very, very careful with, with thinking that China is going to be friendly to capitalism. It's going to be friendly to capitalism as long as it suits them. And then you become Jack Ma. So... Um, a very different system and not one that we as Westerners um, have become accustomed to. That being said, much of what's taking place in the Western system today is not very good either. So we've got a lot of, um, we have a lot of risk on our hands and it's our job to try and navigate all of that um, going forward. But 
there, there will be and there are bright sparks coming through um, and humanity, I think, will always seek freedom. So, um, and that's, you know, that's where we've got to look to place our capital. And, and in many respects, it's where we should do because then we're actually, that's one way that we can fight um, fight against something which has no future for us as as freedom loving individuals you know how how can you paul or you tim fight this well if you can place your capital into you know companies and jurisdictions that are treating treating us more freely um then that's that's one of the most powerful ways to do that amen believe brilliant so um you've given us a couple of media picks i think already chris but um should we uh should we move over to it tim do you want to start with yours um do you want to do you want to go think of something chris if you do i'll give you give you a half a minute to to, to gather your thoughts i've got one <laughs> go for it go for it go for it robert kennedy's new book uh the real anthony fauci you will be Sick to your stomach. I, I couldn't get past the first chapter because I wanted to vomit so so severely. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to get through it all. It's an absolute must read. Because it's when you, yeah, um, go and read the book. They need to make a film out of that, actually, to, to bring it to the mainstream, you know, people who don't like reading. Um, if everybody read that book or even just, a, a, a fringe minority, as Trudeau calls them. Um, I don't think that guy would live it. I don't think he'd make it to the weekend. Mm. What's so, your pick, Tim? What's yours? Um, so I'm going to I'm going to try and cram three or four in at once because that's <laughs> that's the way I, that's the way I roll. So in in a recent commentary, mad as hell, uh, I cited um, a, a few things. One of them is a quote from. A book called "Amusing Ourselves to Death: Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business," which was written extraordinarily presciently in 1985 by Neil Postman, who sadly died uh, in the early 2000s. "Quote: In short, Orwell feared that what we fear will ruin us. Huxley, author of Brave New World, feared that what we desire will ruin us. This book is about the possibility that Huxley, not Orwell, was right." So, firstly, it's a recommendation of the Neil Postman book "Amusing Ourselves to Death," which is about media. It's also a recommendation for Brave New World, which I, although I've I've read snippets of, um, I mean, clearly need to read the full thing all over again because everyone knows 1984, but not necessarily everyone knows Brave New World. And finally, and this is the thing that I sort of hung the commentary on, uh, what I would define as probably the best film of the 1970s, uh, Network, uh, by Paddy Chayefsky. Yeah. Um, and the way towards everyone knows it for I'm I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. But not everyone knows there's a sequence at the end where Ned Beatty talks about the way the world really works. And if it was relevant in the 19, in 1976, it is 100 million percent relevant now. I'm not going to attempt to, to quote it. Simply, there's, there's a link to the scene on the commentary on the PVP website. But just watch the whole film because the whole film is possible. Well, here's a, here's a review. Here's a review. 
the kind of lit quotes, the kind of literate, darkly funny and breathtakingly pressing material that prompts many to claim it's the greatest screenplay of the 20th century. Follow that, Paul. Well, I can't, obviously. <laughs> I'm not going to try because um, I think that's quite a few to have in one show. So I don't want to overload the listeners. Um, so I'll save mine for next time. Okay, but, fair enough. But, um, but Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and enlightening as always. Just so people know where they can find you, give us your website and your, your handles. Sure. So Capitalist Exploits is a um, website you can find me at um, or uh, for our institutional or um, high net worth individuals, we run Glenorchy Capital, and that's .net. Um, and then Twitter is at CapitalistEx. Oh, actually, I might, I might have to check that. Um, we can put a link in the show notes to all of these, uh, Chris. You never really check your own. Um, it's like knowing your own, your, your yeah, capitalist phone number. CapitalistExp, there you go, at CapitalistExp on Twitter. And do you tweet much or or not? Um, it depends. Yeah, sometimes. If I if I get a bee in my bonnet. <laughs> Probably but, like Tim. But you do a free newsletter, don't you, on capital exploits? Yeah, yeah. So we, we put out a weekly um sort of roundup of what's going on in the week and then um yeah, and then there's a there's the publication side of things, which is you know, kind of that that was born out of um, me writing to our our clients um, of that we manage money for, and, um, and you know for some reason people found it interesting and amusing, and so that's a publication that um, it's useful for if you want to build your own portfolio and um, try and understand what's going on in the world. We do our best to to cover all of those sorts of things so yeah brilliant well i'll put links in the show notes chris thank you very much for coming on the show and um we hope to have you back it's my pleasure it was great to speak to you guys again thank you chris thanks chris take care take care guys all the best bye now thanks everybody thanks so much for listening and we will catch you next time This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.